But isn't well, everything taking... better than it was in the no. 80s? Well, yeah. <laughs> Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Let's go back to the early part of the 20th century and the city of Galveston. What role did alcohol and other vices play in the city's recovery after the hurricane of 1900 devastated the island? And what's the impact on this period of Texas history? But first, where's your favorite place to drink in Texas? Uh, I like the Riverwalk in San Antonio, just about any of the places, but Casa Rio's a nice place. Yeah, well, I prefer sitting out in a camp chair out in the Texas Hill Country somewhere, but really it's anywhere I'm surrounded by friends and family. I miss when the Ritz in downtown Austin was an actual bar and not an Alamo draft house. That was an amazing place. Texas has a long history with alcohol, from the corn-based fermented drinks of native tribes to modern craft brews and distilleries. We've talked about the history of beer in Texas in a prior episode. Today we're going to talk about the role alcohol played in the development of an extraordinary era in the history of Galveston, when the island city became known as the Free State of Galveston. Recently, we talked about the awful devastation that occurred when a powerful hurricane struck this thriving and prosperous city in September of 1900. Around 10,000 people were killed, and most of the city was destroyed in the deadliest natural disaster in American history. We also talked about the rebuilding of Galveston and the political changes that put it on the road to recovery. In the years after the storm, the island worked hard to revive itself as a port and tourist destination, and in 1915, they weathered another massive storm with a much lower death toll. While Galveston did recover, it was quickly eclipsed by other cities in Texas. In 1915, the Houston Ship Channel opened, and the Port of Houston, further inland and better protected, became the main port of Texas. Investors were hesitant to pour money into an island city with a history of taking the brunt of hurricanes. Houston offered a far more attractive prospect. Houston was also closer to the booming oil fields of the day, and pipelines and refineries were already being built there. Galveston's future came into doubt. The city leadership focused on attracting tourism to the island, and their hotels began catering to the nouveau riche business class. As the town's commercial prospects began to dry up after the First World War, tourism became more critical. Alcohol and gambling were essential to that industry. As students of history will tell you, 1919 marked a major epoch in American history. Reform movements seeking to legislate morality had already outlawed gambling in most of the country, but they also passed the 18th Amendment to the Constitution, which outlawed alcoholic beverages throughout the country. Prohibition was the law of the land, and it took its toll on the many breweries and saloons throughout Texas. It should have been devastating to Galveston's fragile economy, but this was not to be the case. The political infrastructure on the island took a different approach to enforcing the laws. They simply looked the other way. When Prohibition began, two gangs controlled crime in Galveston, mostly gambling and prostitution. The Beach Gang and the Downtown Gang. They ran or had an interest in all of the casinos and brothels in the city. The Beach Gang was run by Ollie Quinn, an Irishman, and Dutch Voigt, a German immigrant. The Downtown Gang was run by Johnny Nouns, who had connections to the Italian syndicates back east. Al Capone's later enforcer, Frank Nitti, was one of Nouns' partners for a while before allegedly stealing money from Nouns and Voigt and getting out of town. All of them were considered businessmen who weren't averse to honest competition, and little violence occurred. With Prohibition, they added bootlegging to their business, and soon Galveston became a major point for running rum into the U.S. 
They ensured that all the hotels, speakeasies, and casinos were supplied with booze, and they raked in huge profits in the process. In the mid-1920s, two new players rose to power on the island. Salvatore and Rosario Maceo were Sicilian immigrants who came to Galveston in 1910 to open a barber shop. With Prohibition, somehow they got involved with smuggling wine to their customers and gradually found themselves more and more heavily involved in bootlegging. Salvatore, known as Sam, was smooth and gregarious and took over for Ollie Quinn. He became the face of the syndicate. Rosario, known as Rose, acted as his brother's enforcer on the inside. They invested more and more into the syndicate as Quinn and Voigt faded into the background, and Nouns went to prison for racketeering. By the late 1920s, the Maceos were in total control of organized crime on the island, having a piece in every bit of action there was. They controlled many of the main clubs on the island, including the Hollywood Dinner Club, the Moulin Rouge, and the Pleasure Pier. One of their biggest ventures was a club called Maceo's Grotto, which they created out of a Chinese restaurant on the seawall that they'd taken over. It was across the street from the island's most exclusive hotel, the Hotel Galvez. In the 1930s, they added a 200-foot pier with a casino at the end. It very quickly became the most elite and prosperous club in town, especially after the Texas Rangers shut down the Hollywood in 1939. By the end of Prohibition, the Maceos controlled crime and vice all the way up to Dallas. There were numerous attempts by the federal and state authorities to crack down on the vice in Galveston. However, the lax attitude of local officials meant that after every crackdown, things just went back to business as usual. The Maceos ensured that the locals stayed happy. Crackdowns just eliminated their rivals. Sam cultivated relationships with local business leaders, and Rose brooked little violence in the town, even keeping a group of vigilantes in place to ensure that the peace was kept, kind of their own police force. There were no Tommy gun shootouts or civilian killings. The people of Galveston felt safe and secure, even though they became known as the city of... <clears throat> the people of Galveston felt safe and secure, even though their home became known as the Sin City of the South. Many locals took to calling it the Free State of Galveston and referred to the time as the Wide Open Period. Through the 1930s, the Maceos gradually diversified their business, adding more and more to their legitimate interests. They invested in oil, banking, and insurance, and were major contributors to charities and community development. The hotels and casinos helped Galveston weather the Great Depression with almost no unemployment. After Pearl Harbor, the Maceo Club, then called the Sui Jin Restaurant, was renamed the Balinese, and it became an icon of the city until the 1950s. It featured entertainment by Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, and the Marx Brothers, among others. The Margarita was allegedly invented there in 1948, but no solid proof of this exists. Of course, the gambling continued even though it was illegal. The sheriff of Galveston County in the 1940s was called before the Texas legislature, and he was asked why the club remained open. He replied he wasn't a member, so he couldn't get in. Well, that makes it hard. Yeah, it's a little difficult. As the 1940s moved on, the Free State era began to wind down. The Maceos were repeatedly investigated, but nothing ever stuck. Sam made plans to move his gambling operations to Las Vegas. Bugsy Siegel had proven that the mom could make serious money there, and Sam had already helped secure financing for previous casino projects. He teamed up with Mo Dallitz, a mobster known as Mr. Las Vegas, to invest in the new Desert Inn. Sam and Rose transferred most of their Galveston assets, including the Balinese, to the family of their brother-in-law, Joe Fertitta. Sam would not live much longer, however, as he died of cancer in 1951. Rose died three years later. 
The 1950s saw the wide open era come to a close. The New Orleans Syndicate had taken over after the Maceos left, and the city was no longer as safe as it once was. In 1953, the city's red light district was shut down after intense local pressure, and in 1956 the state began to crack down for good on the remaining casinos. The Balinese was one of the last to go. Texas Rangers had always had a difficult time raiding it. By the time they made their way down all 200 feet of the pier, tables, cards, and chips would disappear behind secret wall panels and through trap doors. They eventually figured out a tactic that worked, though. They simply sat in the casino all day, every day. As long as they were there, the gaming could not resume. Business faded to nothing, and the owners eventually gave up. The club closed its doors for the last time on May 30th, 1957. Well, there you go. Texas Rangers. Ultimate party poopers. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is the legacy of the Free State of Galveston? Unfortunately, it's not a happy ending in many ways. The island's illegal industry, which was built mostly around alcohol and other vices, did help shore up the town's economy during Prohibition, the Depression, and the war years. They were helped by having, for lack of a better word, good gangsters who had an interest in the city and its people. But when less altruistic personalities took over, in this case the New Orleans Syndicate, the people turned against the wide-open attitude because they no longer saw the benefit from it. But once that industry was gone... The town returned to its decline in earnest. Businesses left, and while tourism continued, it was not to the same high standards. The Balinese itself reflected this decline as it decayed over the years. In 1975, the rock band ZZ Top released a song in tribute to the club's legendary status. In 2001, it was restored, and for a few years was fairly successful as a restaurant and nightclub. But in 2008, Hurricane Ike wrecked it completely. Galveston has seen recovery in recent years and has become a significant vacation spot with the development of new hotels and the Schlitterbahn water park on the island, not only to mention the modern new Pleasure Pier. But the roaring days of the wide-open, free state of Galveston are largely forgotten. A shorter version of today's show is available at historypodcasters.com as part of the ongoing history collage. This month's topic is alcohol and history. Once we decided we were uh, on this topic for this collage, I talked to my, my dad and people that had grown up in the area down there in Galveston, lived in Galveston, about, you know, the history of the town. And uh, my dad actually told me an interesting story. It's like here, you know, the research here is showing that the the open era with all the gambling and the casinos pretty much dried up and ended in the 50s. But my dad remembers in the early 60s, you know, as a teenager, high school age, he was driving back from Galveston or driving to Galveston across the causeway, and he saw a big truck headed the other way that was loaded up with roulette wheels and poker tables. <laughs> and uh, nice. he remembers something in the news about, you know, there being a big bust of, of gambling in Galveston. And in addition to that, one of his uncles, uh, who played minor league baseball in the late 40s and early 50s, um, in the off season, he dealt cards at a casino in Galveston called the Turf Room. And he ended up making a bunch of connections with the guys there. And so I remember when I was a kid, my great uncle um, going to Vegas all the time. And evidently he still had connections with people he knew from Galveston. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And, you know, the the time period, and especially in the 20s and the late 20s and early 30s, as Prohibition was still around, I mean, there was money coming in like crazy. And people, everybody had a job. That was what I kind of read about was during the Depression, in the height of the Depression, unemployment was almost zero. When in the rest of the state, it was upwards of 25 to 40% of the, of, the, of the country, parts of the country were unemployed. But Galveston, there were still people coming. They wanted to drink. And then later, after drinking was legal, they wanted to gamble. 
even though it was illegal. And the the, the city fathers just they just looked the other way. It's like well, yeah, well, because they were responsible for overseeing a dying town. Right. And when you're in that position, I imagine you're going to do anything you can to keep people happy, keep people right. living there. Well, it's one of those funny things of you know in. In modern films, you might see something like, oh, I just watched Escape from New York, and it's about, oh, New York's decimated. This is Island City, and it's decimated, and then it becomes like a prison. But you read the history of this, it's this fantastic, booming Island City, and it's laid waste in an apocalyptic you know, <laughs> yeah. storm, and then... Then they rebuild it. Then they just rebuild the thing, and then, the you know, booze is made illegal, and it becomes well, a depression area. It turned, they just, they adapt, it's a very adaptable and flexible story to see how it's evolved over, over the years. Yeah. And what, and, and what killed Galveston was not necessarily the hurricane. It was the Houston ship, ship channel really, yeah. really, really was the death knell for, was the death yeah, knell. It, the hurt, the destruction from the hurricane just kind of gave the opening for the ship channel to, right. But it to prosper. But it didn't destroy the island. They figured out a new way to rebuild. Exactly. Well, but did they, did they I guess the question I have, though, is that is it kind of a catch-22? Is that the alcohol and the vice kept the island alive, but it really sort of delayed the death sentence, so to speak, of the yeah. island? And, and and Galveston is still a, a yeah, prosperous they, they've, town. they've really made a comeback now. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I mean, there's hardly a week goes by that I don't see somebody on Facebook talking about, hey, we're headed to Galveston for the weekend. And, you know, it, it's at least and, in Texas, it's still very much a popular tourist. And I tourist would spot. argue even that post-Ike Galveston is different from pre-Ike Galveston yes. even. Yes. And, and it's just, a, it's a tribute to the spirit of, the, of that place and just the amazing length of history and, and the culture of the people there that they you know, it, it really is a special magical place for, for Texans to go. And, and when... I think that really kind of started in the late '90s. Like when you got married, Scott, mm-hmm. it was it was very nice, and that was in 2002. Yes. So we went. You know, your wedding. It was a very nice town. It was much nicer than it had been when I'd gone in in high school and in junior high. But isn't everything taking, better than it was in the no in well, the yeah. '90s? <laughs> I mean, that was the thing is that when 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 I went as a kid, like we would go to Galveston, it's like this place is kind of a dump, you know, <laughs> at, at times. And, and, but they, they really, they've gone through phases and right. time periods of, of boom and bust throughout the, the city's history. Well, I agree. But, you know, in 1983, you wouldn't want to go to Times Square. No. And in exactly. 1983, you exactly. probably wouldn't want to go to Galveston either. No. Yeah. But what I would, what I find fascinating about this story of Galveston during the, the open area during Prohibition is that it's kind of like the shiniest, most wonderful version of prohibition that you think mm-hmm. of when you think of, you know, the speakeasies and the flappers dancing around. Everybody's having a party. Everybody's happy. Um, without the gangster movie stuff <laughs> of the Tommy Gun shootouts and yeah. the and the backstabbing. And that's not to say that none of that happened. It just it didn't define the character. But, but the of Macios, the town. yeah, the Macios kept that under control. But but what's cool about this is is you know you say oh well, I had it, but it. It didn't have the violence, but it had all the gangsters. You right. had, yeah. you had all of these people who were players in some way and were connected. You had connected men that were coming through Galveston. It was like the most boring episode of Boardwalk Empire you could possibly watch. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it was yeah. The, the, it benefited the town and the people in the town. They didn't mind that there was a red light district. They didn't mind that there was all this gambling. They, they didn't mind there was booze coming through. Right, but because without it, all that money coming through town, right. where would they be? But right. I think that. You know, we com- we're comparing it to movies, and I think if you look at it, you probably need to compare it in real life to the real Las Vegas, where 
maybe a little more corruption, maybe a little more violence. But most of the time, most people are, everybody's making money. Everybody's just nice to their neighbor. Everybody, you know, there's kind of a, a community of Vegas and there's sort of where the tourists go. And I think Galveston was just a nice place for people to go where you could get the things you wanted. Uh, and and they they just lived they te- they just had the the I guess misfortune of living in a state that just absolutely refused to legalize gambling ever. I've, I've an interesting twist of of doing research for not just this episode but other episodes, especially in the modern more modern era, like we're talking about in the in the nineteen hundreds. Um, it's re- it's interesting the cavalcade of famous people who have come through Texas on some piece either people who come here through military type of service or entertainers like bob hope and frank Mm -hmm. sinatra those it's hard to picture like you know frank sinatra going to galveston Mm -hmm. i'm going to galveston to play the balinese you know he's like really that that's hard to picture today because we just don't think of that kind of level of stars well i mean for me growing up i remember the balinese or the building that the former Balinese was just this rickety old building out on a pier mm-hmm. on the Galveston beach. So to, to read about and learn more about what it was in its heyday is pretty cool. Um, the interesting, the other interesting thing is kind of the modern impact of all this. Sam Maceo helped secure loans for many of the casinos in Las Vegas, which were obviously for, you know, as, as legend has it, and it is true, they were run by the mafia and, controlled by the mafia. But the interesting thing is that he secured those loans through an insurance company owned by run, run by the Moody family, uh, which Moody gardens in Galveston, the Moody family was a major family in Galveston. Well, he was able to use his connections and his investment in this, in these insurance companies to get loans for these casinos run by gangsters, the family that they passed their businesses to the Fertitta family, that family went on to found Landry's, which is considered to be the most uh, wealthy and profitable uh, restaurant chains uh, in the entire world. Well, I love seafood. <laughs> so the Furtado family actually is related to the Maceo family. If you haven't heard it, and perhaps some people even in this room haven't heard it, in a long time. ZZ, a long time. ZZ Top's Balinese, great song. Like, no, I mean, just listen to the whole ZZ Top catalog if you want. But, but it's on the Fandango album, right? Yes. I, I may not have heard that song, but I have been to Six Flags. Okay, <laughs> uh, that whole album is fantastic. So we listen to Fandango, but you know it, it's cool, and and definitely we're gonna work our way around ZZ Top because they've done not one but two songs about sinful Texas places. <laughs> both the, there's Lagrange, which is a future episode, and then yeah. and, and of course the Balinese. Uh, you know, I don't understand. You know, it, I think there's. It's it's kind of neat that Texas is such a puritanical place <laughs> in, by some measure standards, and then yet there's this idea of the pleasure pier. Do you know anything about the modern pleasure pier? Like, should we? Um, um, my kids have been there twice. To they, the new pleasure pier? Yeah, it's very much like the Navy Pier mm-hmm. in Chicago or um, the uh, one the in Beach. California. Yeah, the Long so Beach. Is, is Long Beach. Poker craps. What's no, your favorite? No, game? it's no, more. It's think think park. more. It's like uh, Pier Thirty Nine, whatever the one in San Francisco. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's have, like that. It's, it's they have a roller little restaurant, roller coasters, restaurants, oh, kids fun. rides. Yeah, that's fun. Now, the Midway. I, I'd heard a rumor 
uh, several years ago that that they were trying to pass a legislation to build uh, to legalize gambling on on a pier in Brownsville, and there was actually there was a legislative effort yeah. made to that. So I well, there's been several legislative attempts to legalize gambling in in Las in a, to legalize gambling in Galveston as well. The most recent one was a pretty close vote. So it seems like attitudes are shifting. I think, but it's interesting. You go to Louisiana and it's like, you can't gamble in a (laughs) casino, but we can park a boat in a river that moves nowhere and you can gamble on the boat. Right. Or Or we we can can build our building to be a quote boat. (laughs) I don't understand. Why can't we, why aren't there more boat shaped casinos in Texas? But I think what it all comes down to is that Galveston, much like the rest of Texas, uh, it's very much inhabited by a culture of survival and resourcefulness. Yeah, absolutely. And that they always manage as a community to get through the rough times and emerge on the other side mm-hmm. as a place that people want to go. Yeah. Well, you know what, Galveston? Come and take it salute you for your tenacity. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please, please, please leave a review on iTunes because that really, really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas Texas wants you anyway. anyway.